Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new episode of Stories from Space Podcast, where your host, Matthew Williams, examines the history of human spaceflight, the breakthroughs that revolutionized our understanding of the universe and our place in it, and the brave individuals who work tirelessly to advance the frontiers of our understanding. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. The authors acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on the traditional unceded lands of the Lekwungen peoples. In 1542, famed astronomer and polymath Nicholas Copernicus sent a manuscript of his magnum opus to Nuremberg for publishing. Copernicus was on his deathbed, and he had held back the manuscript that he had completed ten years earlier because he feared persecution and ridicule from church authorities and his colleagues in the scientific community. The book was titled On the Revolutions of the Heavenly Spheres. His work introduced the world to heliocentrism, or the heretical belief that the Earth, the Moon, and the planets all orbited the Sun. This work led to a revolution in Western astronomy and would forever change our views of the cosmos. Not only did it account for errors arising out of the two predominant world systems of the time, these being the Aristotelian and Ptolemaic models, but it would also trigger a new debate between those who would embrace the new heliocentric model and those who preferred to stick to the old geocentric one. Even though their reaction to his book was not what Copernicus had feared, it would lead to a revolution, one where Earth was removed from the center of our universe and placed on par with the other planets, and humanity was neither special nor unique in the universe, or maybe even alone. I'm Matt Williams, and welcome back to Stories from Space. The life of Nicholas Copernicus began in 1473 in a small town of Toronia in northern Poland. At age 10, his father, who was also his namesake, died, and he was raised by his maternal uncle, Lukas Watzenrode the Younger. As an aristocrat, Lukas was well-connected to many leading intellectual figures in Poland and oversaw Copernicus's education and made sure that he was exposed to the leading scientific discoveries as well as an education steeped in theology and the liberal arts. This began at the St. John School in Toronia, which was followed by his education at the Cathedral School at Wotswalek, which prepared students for entrance to the University of Krakow, where Copernicus's own uncle studied years before. By 1491, Copernicus began attending the university and quickly gained a fascination with astronomy, as well as mathematics and astrology. Like his contemporaries, Copernicus's studies were grounded in mathematical and astronomical knowledge, as well as theology and the philosophy and natural science writings of Aristotle, Euclid, and the modern humanists. Over time, he collected a large library on astronomical writings, and began working on the two main systems that were known at the time, the Aristotelian and Ptolemaic models of the solar system. Both of these models were geocentric in nature, but whereas Aristotle's believed that the planets were organized in concentric circles that were perfectly spherical, Ptolemy's model contained eccentrics and epicycles designed to explain inconsistencies in the observations of the planets. 
This is something that astronomers had noted since the days of ancient Babylon, and it was something that European astronomers struggled with. Whereas Aristotle's model was consistent with Christian cosmology, astronomers could not help but notice that many of the planets, including Mars and Jupiter, behaved in ways that was not consistent with the idea of perfectly circular orbits. During different times of the year, Mars and Jupiter could appear much brighter in the night sky, which would indicate that they were closer than at other times in their orbits. In addition, in the course of their orbits, the planets appeared to slow down and reverse course temporarily before resuming their normal orbital path. This phenomenon is known as retrograde motion, and is something that every culture on Earth noted and included in their astronomical traditions. The disparity in these observations was something that had been troubling astronomers during the time of classical antiquity, and by the second century of the Common Era, the Greek-Egyptian astronomer Claudius Ptolemaeus, or Ptolemy, proposed a resolution that would become accepted canon for over a thousand years to come. The principles of the Ptolemaic model were explained in two historic texts, the Almagest, and planetary hypotheses, both of which were released around 150 CE. The Ptolemaic model, in short, was an attempt to resolve the Greeks' belief in a perfect system of concentric spheres with observations that did not coincide with them. The first principle of the Ptolemaic system was eccentricity, where the planets still revolved around the Earth in perfect concentric circles, but Earth was not at the epicenter of these cycles. Similar to what Kepler would later propose, planets in the sky appear to be moving faster when closest to Earth, or at perigee, and slowest when they're farthest away, at apogee. In addition, Ptolemy introduced the idea of epicycles, where every planet rotated around Earth on a circular path known as a deferent, but also rotated in place on an epicycle. This wheels-within-wheels model was meant to explain why planets appeared to be slowing down, reversing course in the sky, and then speeding up again and resuming their normal course through the night sky. And finally, Ptolemy introduced a concept known as the equant, a point in space that corresponded to Earth's own distance from the epicenter. Astronomical bodies, he claimed, when viewed from the point of the equant, would appear to sweep out equal angles along the deferent in equal times. But when viewed from Earth or any other locations within the solar system, the motion of other objects would appear as non-uniform. While this cosmological model did have an explanation for all the apparent discrepancies and imperfections in the earlier Aristotelian model, it nevertheless suffered from its own imperfections. These had become apparent before Copernicus's time and had elicited all kinds of interesting explanations. In 1497, Copernicus arrived in Bologna to continue his studies, and while he would pursue an education in canon law, as his uncle had requested, he devoted himself primarily to the studies of the humanities and astronomy. It was also while at the University of Bologna that he became the disciple and assistant to famed astronomer Domenico Maria Novara da Ferreira. By 1501-1503, Copernicus would move to Padua to study medicine, but he kept studying astronomy on the side and buried himself in texts dating back to classical antiquity, but also new translations that had emerged from the Near East and Central Asia, texts that had been lost to European universities and libraries since the Dark Ages. In terms of classical studies, these included the works of Pythagoras, Cicero, Pliny the Elder, Plutarch, Heraclides, and Plato. 
but also heliocentric and semi-heliocentric theories produced by Hellenic philosophers from the Near East, authorities from India and from the Arab world, who had refined, augmented, and criticized classical views of astronomy throughout the Middle Ages. Among them, Aristarchus of Samos, who had proposed the first known heliocentric model in 270 BCE. While the original texts for this model do not exist, its existence has been reconstructed based on mentions by other contemporary philosophers, such as Archimedes. Aristarchus would go on to have a profound influence on many subsequent generations of astronomers. This includes West Asian Hellenic philosopher Seleucus of Seleucia. According to Plutarch, Seleucus was a follower of Aristarchus and is renowned for having been the first to demonstrate how a heliocentric model explained the workings of the universe. There was also Arabata, the 5th to 6th century Indian philosopher who proposed that the Earth spins on its axis. Similar ideas were endorsed by Iranian philosophers like Al-Saji, who also believed that the Earth rotated on its axis and created an astrolabe that attributed the apparent motion of the background stars to the Earth's rotation and not the rotation of the firmament. However, the most outspoken critics of the Ptolemaic system did not emerge until the 11th century and after in the Islamic and Central Asian world. These included Ibn al-Hatham, whose 11th century book, Doubts Concerning Ptolemy, introduced the idea that the Ptolemaic system was illegitimate. Arab mathematician and philosopher al-Biruni also introduced the phases of the moon, calculated Earth's rotation, and even made an argument in favor of heliocentrism. By the 13th century, the Moraga School of Astronomy was established in Persia, which taught non-Ptolemaic planetary models. The arguments and evidence used at this school resembled those used by Copernicus a few centuries later. By the time Copernicus was in Padua studying medicine, the idea finally crystallized for him. However, Copernicus was not about to publish his findings. In 1503, he moved to Varmia in Poland, where he'd spend the remaining 40 years of his life. By 1514, he began work on a small treatise that described his findings, known as the Commentariolus, or Little Commentary. Only limited copies of this 40-page manuscript were made, which he distributed only among his friends. In it, Copernicus included the seven principles upon which his hypothesis for a heliocentric universe was built. These included that celestial bodies do not revolve around a single point, that the center of the Earth is the center of the lunar sphere, the orbit of the moon around Earth, that all spheres rotate around the sun, which is near the center of the universe, that the distance between the Earth and the sun is an insignificant fraction of the distance from the Earth and the sun to the stars, so parallax is not observed in the stars, that the stars are immovable, and that their apparent motion is caused by the daily rotation of Earth and not the firmament that Earth is moved in a sphere around the Sun, causing the apparent annual migration of the Sun. And finally, Earth has more than one motion, and Earth's orbital motion around the Sun causes the seeming reverse in direction of the motions of the planets. For the next 18 years, Copernicus would continue to gather data. By 1532, he was close to completing the manuscript of On the Revolutions of the Heavenly Spheres, where he would advance his seven major arguments again, but in more detailed form with computations. In short, Copernicus's seven principles established that the Sun was at the center of our universe. However, the Sun itself orbited around an epicenter, as did all other astronomical objects. 
Meanwhile, the moon orbited Earth, which together orbited the sun. He further indicated that the apparent motion of the stars, their rotation through the sky night after night, was due to Earth's rotation rather than the motion of a starry sphere itself. Earth's orbit around the sun also accounted for the way the sun gradually migrated through the sky in the course of a year. It also accounted for why astronomers could not make parallax measurements of distant stars, since their distance from the Earth and the sun was far greater than previously thought. And last, but not least, it was the combination of Earth's rotation and Earth's orbit around the sun that caused the apparent discrepancies in movements of the other planets. Mars and Jupiter did not speed up or slow down in their rotations or reverse throughout the year. They merely appeared to be doing so because Earth was either catching up to them in its orbit or leaving them behind. The change in their appearance, brighter at certain times of the year and dimmer than others, was because Earth was either on the same side of the Sun or on opposite sides of it when the observations were made. And the apparent change in Mercury and Venus and their brightness levels also accorded to where they were in their orbits relative to Earth. When they were on the opposite sides of the Sun, they appeared fuller but more distant. When they are on the same side as the Sun as Earth, they appeared closer but crescent-shaped. While Copernicus had formulated a system that finally accounted for all the observations, he feared the criticism that he would receive if he published it right away. Not only was he concerned about condemnation from the Church, he was worried that his theory presented scientific flaws, which would result in ridicule and rejection by his peers. As a result, he withheld the publication of the manuscript until a year before he died, in 1542, when he sent it to Nuremberg. Surprisingly, the reaction to Copernicus's theory was rather mild at first. In the coming years, it came to be accepted as one of two possible theories, alongside the Ptolemaic model. Sixty years later, further refinements were offered by Galileo Galilei, who championed Copernicus's heliocentric model and demonstrated through the use of his own telescope, that the observations of the heavens did indeed align with Copernicus's model. Johann Kepler would follow, adding to the heliocentric model the idea of elliptical orbits. The stage was then set for Sir Isaac Newton to come along and offer the final refinement, which placed all the heavenly bodies in a single system governed by three coherent laws of gravitation and motion. But Copernicus's influence wouldn't end there. By removing the Earth from the center of the universe, by introducing a concept of relative motion and relative velocity, by upending millennia of church and classical dogma about the nature of the solar system and motion, Copernicus helped usher in the age of modern astronomy and cosmology, which eventually gave rise to the theories of universal gravitation and relativity. The cosmological principle, or Copernican principle, which states that planet Earth and humanity are neither unique nor special in their observations of the universe, is foundational to the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. In short, Copernicus ushered in a revolution in our understanding of the universe. However, this revolution did not occur in a vacuum. Not only did his breakthrough draw on the work of countless astronomers and cosmologists who came before, Several subsequent generations of great scientists contributed to his theory, correcting for the remaining faults and ridding it of its last traces of classical prejudice, such as the idea of perfectly circular orbits. To quote one of Copernicus's successors, If I have seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. I'm Matt Williams, and this has been Stories from Space.
hope you enjoyed this episode of Stories from Space podcast with Matthew Williams. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.